You're listening to Finding Your Genius Zone with Dirk Novell. With the help of successful individuals across industries, Dirk breaks down the unknown parts of every vocation while highlighting the importance of finding a career where you can leverage your natural skills, passions, and interests. Now here's your host, Dirk Novell. Hey everybody, this is Dirk Novell. Welcome to the podcast. Um, on with me today is uh, as someone that I really, um, really like as a person. He's one of the, the guys that came into my life years ago. We're in the same industry, uh, you know, and we're in the same coaching group. And what I mean by that is we have, there's, a, there's about 40, 50 of us across the country that, do, that are in the mortgage industry. And Brent was one of those guys I heard about, came back in, and he just, he's one of those guys that takes it to a different level, you know, and initially like as a guy in his business, you get threatened by guys like, oh my God, this, this dude's doing it in a way I've never seen it. But then ultimately you kind of deal with that and you learn from him. So I'm really honored that he's on with me today. He's one of the guys that I really wanted to have on because I think, uh, you know, when you hear his story and you, you hear how he works and operates and thinks uh, you're going to really learn a lot about not only the mortgage industry, but starting a business, being brave enough to exit an industry and start a new one and then come back. So I'll stop rambling. Uh, Brent Hicks, welcome to the show. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Thank you, buddy. And Brent's, by the way, he's, he splits time between Dallas and L.A. And right now he's in L.A. And so I think that sunshine coming through the windows, right? <laughs> yeah, I'll give you a little a little glimpse there. Uh, but I, you didn't have to do that. You, you didn't have to rub it in. I, I, being it's, in Seattle, my happy place, man. I got the doors open, fresh air's coming in. It's like, how can I be in a bad mood when I'm sitting here staring at, uh, at you know, Mother Nature's beauty? Yeah, dude, it's good life you've carved out, but you've worked hard for it. Um, I've always thought you should be a country rock star, but maybe that's the next phase for you. But tell us a little bit about like, okay, so people are tuning in. They have an idea, you know, what you do, but in your own words, you know, how would you articulate if, you know, you're on the beach hanging out, someone asks you, hey, Brett, what do you do? How would you respond? Uh, you know, I'm a mortgage banker uh, by career. And that's afforded me to also be a, you know, an investor. I've always been entrepreneurial. I've owned multiple businesses and our business. I, you know, it's, it, it's, it's a business that I built that I treat with entrepreneurial spirit. So, you know, I would say I'm an entrepreneur, but I'm a mortgage banker um, by trait and, and, and definitely an investor by kind of passion and necessity. Okay. So, you know, when I look at your history, you, you were with a bunch of mortgage companies. And then I think in 06, 07 or something, you departed a little bit, tried something different. So you said entrepreneur. That's kind of what I think when I think of you. Like you say you're a mortgage banker, but you also, you take it to a level that not a lot of people do. And I know you're a humble guy, but tell me a little bit about your mindset, like in the business. You're not just a dude that's trying to lock loans or manage a small team. You're a big part of your company. Uh, I think you're a divisional president, but like, what is in your, what is it that drives you? Cause you do it at a level that is impressive and unique. And so you're not in my mind, you're not just some dude locking loans. You're much more than that, but what is it, you know, that you, that gets you to do what you do and drives you? I mean, I think part of it has just been internal drive. I, you know, and as a kid, as, I, as I've unpacked 
so much of my life and trying to figure out why I do the things that I do, what the story in my head is, trying to correct those stories that were just improper and things that I was telling myself. I've gotten to understand myself a bit more through that journey. And, and I grew up, you know, with two older brothers during my upbringing, I was fortunate enough to watch the mistakes my brothers are making. And, you know, I made a bunch of mistakes in my life as a kid uh, many as an adult, but early on, I got to see those and I didn't have to buy those lessons, but being the younger brother, I don't know. I think just something was impressed upon me to, to survive. I, I'm a Leo by nature. And so my early traits were, you know, let me leave me alone. Let me do it myself. Uh, you know, my brother would try to help me build a puzzle. Like I was an asshole. I'd knock the puzzle apart because I wanted to just figure it out on my own. And, you know, my mom was very entrepreneurial, still is. I think she helped teach me that early on. And so, you know, I had lemonade stands and grass cutting businesses. Uh, I traded baseball cards and sold them in, you know, big shows. Uh, she had, I'd go bag doors for anything. You know, when the guy with, with the kid was selling candy, I was the one that would go sell candy door to door for the school. But uh, the first year I went and sold, I got second place to a girl whose dad owned the local grocery store. So it was like a $300 prize for first place. Second place got $100. And I felt kind of slighted because, uh, you know, I banged on a lot of doors and she just had, you know, the, the luxury of geography. But at the end of that, uh, at the end of that contest, the dollar and 50 candy bars, they sold for 50 cents to the students because they had all these extras. And so the next year, I just saved my money from cutting grass and all my little odd jobs. And I bought all the candy bars they had left for 50 cents and then went around the neighborhoods and banged, banged on doors and sold them for a buck 50 and made like 400 bucks. So I've always just had this, you know, I don't know, this just drive and I enjoy it. I enjoy, um, I enjoy the grind. I, I like waking up very focused and determined uh, that that I'm going to take the hill. Um, you know, Napoleon Hill talks about it. You know, there's the story of, of the general and, and they burn the ships, right? They came in, they're outmanned, outpowered, outgunned. And when they hit the beach, the, the captain burned the ships. And so the only way we're going to get through this is by getting through this. And, and they did because they had no choice. And as a kid, that's the way I looked at it. You know, I saw my brothers at times, you know, coming back and moving back into my parents' household and getting bailed out time and time again. And so from an early age, I told myself when I moved out at 17, I was never going to move back in, was never going to ask my parents for help. I was never going to be a burden. And I, you know, just, I had no choice. I had to swim and I had to take the hill. Yeah. I mean, this is power. I mean, I, you and I have had many conversations, but this is powerful. I didn't, I mean, this is, I, I, it's interesting because I'm thinking about a 25 year old listening to this right now and everyone has an edge or a story or something that propels them. And I mean, knowing you now I can understand like, yeah, now this makes sense. Like, but I'm also wondering, you had two older brothers. I, I, my guess is you wanted to not to get deep, but you wanted to, you didn't want to be a burden, but you wanted to please make it easier on your parents so they didn't have to worry about you. Did this come, did, did this conviction, this drive, can you pinpoint it to anything like in high school or elementary school, or was it just in your DNA? This is who you are. I mean, I think it was always in my DNA, um, but maybe, you know, I psychoanalyze myself and try to figure out why I did the things that I did, you know, maybe being the youngest and trying to get attention and get seen 
right? And then trying to be, because I was competitive, right? I'm a Leo and, and I've had a competitive drive since I was born. And so now I'm competing with somebody that's five and 11 years older than me. And so I was always trying to elevate and, and maybe try to get noticed above people that were far more mature and developed than I was. And so I think maybe that helped to precipitate that. And then each one of these other catalysts along the way helped to galvanize it or drive me down a path more of just being an entrepreneur. Like I, I've had jobs, I have a job, but I don't have a job. I don't, I'm not like a hireable person because everything about my makeup is, is I'm going to treat everything with an ownership mentality, including myself. I'm a, I believe 100% ownership. If I was telling somebody today or, or if I give advice to somebody, that's what I tell them. Like, first and foremost, never be a victim. Have 100% ownership of everything in your life. So much that if I walked out to the middle of the street, I get hit by a car, I have to go back and I have to look at the situation and say, what could I have done differently? I don't need to blame the car. I need to blame myself because I may not have looked left. I may not have looked right. You know, what did I do to put myself in a situation to get hit by a car? Um, and so I think in, in everything that we do, that's, that's something that I learned. And that's something that I've embraced is hundred percent ownership. When you own it a hundred percent, there's no point fingers to point and you know, whatever it is, you have to do it because you earn it. But then it also gives you fulfillment, right? When you have a hundred percent ownership. And then as you start to achieve, I've found that, you know, the level of fulfillment that it gives me. I don't know, it's, it could be unparalleled to, to other things that I've experienced. Yeah, I want to unpack that a little bit later on. Um, but before we exit your your history, so walk me. So you went to high school in Texas and then did you go to college? In yeah, I, was, I grew up in Louisiana. Oh, Louisiana, um, that's right. So I, I went to a little Catholic high school, graduated with like 90 people. Uh, I went to USL, which is in Lafayette, Louisiana. My the, the summer break of my freshman year, I was supposed to go to Nebraska and sell Bibles. And I had it set up. I was going to live in somebody's attic apartment, go bang on doors because I knew how to bang on doors. But my brother had just moved to Dallas and um, had met some girl, moved out there. And right before summer starts blowing me up, like, you need to come see this. You should come spend the summer here with me. And he got in my head. I... I, I elected not to take the job in Nebraska selling Bibles. I went to uh, Texas, went to Dallas for the summer, got a job waiting tables. And after the summer, I moved back to, to Louisiana to go back to school. There's a French word called, called idée fixe, and that means a thought that occupies the mind. And once I got to Texas from, you know, growing up a town with 50,000 people and going to college at a town that had 50,000 people, like I, I had not traveled a lot. Like our vacations, maybe Disney World or or a beach in Florida or a beach in, in Mississippi, like Gulfport or Biloxi. But, you know, I was probably 17 or 18 before I even got on a plane. So I hadn't really experienced, but the world through, through one lens that was very, very limited. I was looking at it through like a little stir straw. And then as I went to Dallas, I saw opportunity. I saw youthfulness, energy. And that thought, was in my mind and it kept on rolling over and over. And so finished my third semester of college, dropped out, packed the little things that I had up in my car and I drove to Texas, uh, you know, trying to figure out what I was gonna do with my life. And 
I had worked for Outback at the time in te Texas, moved back to Louisiana, got a job at Outback. And so I went back to Dallas waiting tables for Outback uh, and then took on another, you know, job at a restaurant and then started a roofing company at about 21 years old had massive success, you know, banging on doors. So we had a hailstorm and at 21, I was probably making 30 or 40,000 a month. Um, and this is not to date myself, but like 1994 or something. So it was a lot of money. And the Bible says a fool and his money will soon part. At that age, I was a fool and my money was soon parting from me because I thought it was time to party and, you know, go buy Dom Perignon and stupid shit. Um, I didn't learn the principle of, Build your, build your business and build your house, right? Reward yourself later. I was re rewarding myself now. And so the business ultimately failed because I became complacent and lazy. And that was my epiphany, Derek, Dirk. I woke up one morning. I had enough money to pay my rent for one more month. I had enough money to pay my car payment for one more month. No job sold, no income coming in. And then, I, then that, that was the change. That was the catalyst because I wasn't going to go home. I wasn't going to get bailed out. And so I went back and swallowed my pride, started bartending again, got one bartending job, two bartending jobs. Then I started selling copies from Minolta. So I was working three jobs, like eight to five, five to 10, Monday through Thursday, Friday, eight to five, five to 10, 10 to four at the third job, Saturdays, 10, yeah, four to 10, and then 10 to four a.m. So I was working a lot. I had the opportunity to save a bunch of money. I didn't have time to spend a single dollar because all I was doing was focus on working. And there were some guys that were coming in one of the restaurants that I worked at that were in the mortgage business. What I realized was in the copier business, I had two zip codes. There were something like 2,000 total businesses, mainly blue collar, that probably didn't need copiers. When was I going to ever get a referral from somebody that needed a copier that happened to be in my two zip codes? Like my income, the ceiling was so low, I, I couldn't eclipse it, right? Just geographically, mathematically, I, it was limited. And so these guys coming in in the mortgage business, I saw that as, as residual income, a way to build relationships and rapport. And what I ultimately believed was if I became licensed in all 50 states, everyone that I potentially met in my life could be a referral or a potential client. And if people are buying and selling or refinancing and you know the average loan five to seven years, like it could be an endless amount of referrals and so I pursued it. I quit the copier job, started uh, started working in the mortgage business, and then kept my two bartending jobs to fund myself because this was a zero commission, you know, it's a straight commission job, zero salary. And it took me six months. Six months. There were moments that uh, that I thought about quitting, and and if I had, I would have been that, you know, six feet from gold moment. Uh, but I kept on going, and and then the business started to come. And then, you know, we, we learned things along the way, applied it, read a bunch, applied, applied, got mentored, joined mastermind groups and, and really blew, blew it up and grew it into something significant. Yeah. Um, I'm throwing up on you. I'm sorry. No, dude, this is impressive. <laughs> I mean, I've, I, like I said, I've never really sat down and gotten this deep on your background, but I mean, i I keep going like the dance in this podcast is you know, you and I have years of experience and wisdom, and my goal is to create content that would be life-changing for people to kind of shift uh, the way they're thinking about a career. Because when I came out of school, I was thinking about paying off debt. I was thinking about, you know, my dad was very superficial. 
always comparing us to someone who lived on the lake. So I was thinking about just making money. Um, and there's nothing wrong with money. I love money. Um, but I think younger adults coming out of school, maybe in high school, like there's a lot of, there's a lot of stress. People are struggling trying to figure it out. And I think the more you talk, it's just very apparent why you're so damn good at what you do, but it comes from a place like you're, you're describing insight that you had that I don't think a ton of people have, like you, you wanted, you thought about referrals, you thought about the ceiling being low in, in the copier business. And you thought about, you know, if I can be licensed in all 50 states and create a recurring revenue stream through referrals, like I can go crazy and, and you have gone crazy. But these are the things that I want younger people to, that are watching to think about, you know, do you know anybody? I mean, do you have a network of people who like you? And, you know, this is a popularity contest. And if you haven't figured it out by now, Brent's a pretty likable dude and he's very smart. And like for me, I want people who work their ass off and are smart. I want you know, people to earn their business. And so you certainly earn it. So what I want to do again is kind of get back into you've, you've worn the hat of a producer and, you know, you're talking about knocking on doors, selling Bibles. I mean, this is a contact sport, right? This is phone calls. This is not always glamorous and sexy. It's just staying in front of people, but you've been a, you are a producer and you're also a manager and a leader. I want to kind of get into both of those as far as a producer. I mean, you kind of talked about it, what, what is it like being a producer in the mortgage industry? Like that's not so obvious. Like someone can read a job description or watch a YouTube or whatever, but like, tell us what you tell, tell the people what they don't know. Like what have you learned through years of being success, successful in, in terms of locking loans that would be valuable for people to know in terms of what makes somebody successful? You know, look, I, I, I'll, I'll quote Tony Robbins and Tony Robbins says, find someone that has what you want, do exactly as they do. You'll get the same result, modified, you'll get a modified result. So you got to follow a process and you've got to do it time and time and time and time and time and time again. There is no get rich quick anywhere. I don't know of any besides the lottery. And, and that's, you know, that's like a hope certificate that, uh, that doesn't pay off. So it takes time. It takes maturity. You got to be long in the tooth and, and whatever it is that, that you do, think not days and weeks ahead, think years ahead and what do you want? And then just focus on it, right? I mean, you look at the best companies in the world so many times and, you know, good to great Jim Collins talks about this and, and they didn't just become Google. They didn't just become Apple. It didn't become Microsoft overnight, you know, these companies grew underground a lot of times for years and years and years. And it's like Chinese bamboo that, you know, may grow seven to 10 years underground. And then all of a sudden it spouts a hundred feet. Well, all you see is the hundred feet above ground that it just instantly grew, but no, that wasn't the case. It was years of refining and years of growth that happened. And then all of a sudden you hit an inflection point, but in the, in the mortgage business, it is, it's about the time and the effort. It's about the learning. It's about, getting outside your comfort zone. It's about making calls. It, 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 it is very much in any relationship as we're building relationships, going and meeting somebody for lunch or having a, an, a lunch with a referral partner, future referral partner. Like just because I met them one time, I shouldn't think that I'm instantly going to get business from them. It is a process, right? Then the gestation period could be a couple of months, could be a couple of weeks, could be a couple of years. When I look at relationships and I, and I look at 
bigger relationships. My dad used to say, kill the queen, the nest dies with it. And what that means is I can spend the same amount of time focusing on decision makers that can have a bigger impact than I can off individual bees. So kill the queen. And now I've got the entire nest that goes with it. And so I've always tried to focus in on some bigger opportunities while I have the smaller opportunities kind of paying my bills and driving. But they take a long time. And when I look at it, I'm like, okay, would I invest three years just slowly building relationship and rapport for something that could generate me, you know, generational wealth, potentially a, a, a very significant income? Well, absolutely. I'm already doing this. I'm already doing this job. I just need to fill my gaps constantly with producing activities, money-making activities. And the law of averages, the more times I get up, the more times I get at the bat, the likely I'm going to get a hit. And at first, the pitches seem super fast. And then eventually you start to see the pitches before they even come. And that's maturity in, in the business. Yeah. I mean, you're, you also have like, <clears throat> okay, so somebody can go down this road and follow all these, then do all these things. But eventually if the fire or the genuine enthusiasm isn't there, I think they'll, you know, the, the race will slow down and they'll end up, you know, maybe dying out you you there's something inside you i know we talked about your background and you know the the grit and the competitiveness but you're also in your genius zone obviously so like when you're you're talking it's like like i wouldn't want to compete with you you know i mean you're so good at what you do but like you really believe in what you do and you really love it uh and i don't i guess the question i would have is would this transfer to a different industry or is there something about the mortgage industry that suits you versus selling medical supplies? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely something about the mortgage business that I love. I, I left it, and, and earlier on, you're asking the question. So I built a very large mortgage business. Uh, 07 was was devastating, right? From a from a business perspective, um, that was the best gray hair experience, the best life lessons, the best teachers I learned during that experience. It taught me to get really wide in, in my income streams and to not, you know, to be solely focused on my efforts, but to use that cash flow to be able to drive other cash flow opportunities. Uh, built the business back, was biggest, the biggest I had ever grown it at the time, but I, I felt like the mortgage business was going to change. I had an opportunity to go start a, another business outside the mortgage space with a, with a mentor that had numerous huge, huge successes and exits. And I felt like I could get a world-class MBA working with him and growing this other business that we started. Six months into it, I realized, okay, I'm really passionate about the mortgage space. And from that moment, I knew I was going to get back in. I just didn't know when, when I would have the other business that we started in a place that would allow me to go back and pursue the thing that I then realized that I love the most. Um, you know, there's multiple things I could be passionate about. I love real estate. Uh, you know, I love, I love any type of real sales environment. I want to, I have to believe in what I'm doing, right? If I lacked belief, then I can't go out because I wouldn't be authentic. Uh, I wouldn't be my normal self if I was just selling something to to monetize, you know, or to pay my bills. Like I need to believe in something. And then when I believe in something and I'm passionate about something, then even even you know when we had evolve, like I was passionate about the the products and and changing people's lives and changing people's health. And we started a five hundred three one three C 
mean, we've still, it's still going. We've fed 50 something million kids so far. Like I'm passionate about that shit. Um, so I, I don't think there's like one love and, and one thing that I could do or that, that somebody listening can do. It's about finding something that you enjoy learning and applying and then continue to grow your passion for it. I will also say the more you succeed, the easier it becomes, the more your belief starts to grow, right? Those things are all kind of aligned. So the more successes you get, the more it starts to perpetuate. And the more it starts to perpetuate, the more it becomes self-fulfilling. Um, yep. You just got to put the time and effort in. So not to be like negative, but like, I think it's also important to be real upfront and clear about the industry. Maybe there's some things about the business that you don't like, or some things you're like, man, I didn't see this coming. Uh, is there anything that you can think of that might help somebody make a better decision about entering this industry? Like something that, again, every job isn't perfect. There's good and bad, but is there something about the business or two things, for example, that you just don't like that's that someone needs to really understand? I mean, I think the hardest thing is, is it's a boom and bust cycle. Um, we have very, very high highs and we have very low lows. And sometimes those things can change. You can be at the top of the peak and in six months be at the bottom of the valley where in, in a different business, maybe the peaks aren't as high as and the valleys aren't as low. And they don't happen quite as fast. So you could potentially prepare for some of the change. And so I think that's part of it, right? I mean, some of the regulation that comes in, the changes, some of that stuff impacts our livelihoods. It impacts our our our, our bars, our future disciples, our employees, um, you know, in the in the bust times, right? When things become difficult. What I don't like is is with as many people as as we employ and I employ. You know, I've got to I've got to go in and make all the hard decisions and help my groups make hard decisions, and so that that can be taxing, right? I mean, when you're letting go, one person is difficult. Letting go hundreds of people, um, you know, I take it I take it hard because I feel like you know it's my responsibility and they're my responsibility, but I also have to be a steward of the business, and I got to do the right thing to save the patient. So those would be the things that you know maybe are difficult. On the other side of it, the peaks are so high. If you build the right disciplines, if you build your business, then build your house. Use the cash flow to start generating other cash flow. Get wide, get appreciating assets, you know, things that Metal would talk about that uh, that you can reduce your tax burdens on. I don't know of many businesses that can cash flow the way this does. I mean, I'm a college dropout and um you know, we've been able to to financially achieve some some really significant things through what this business has given us. I also like because it's counter cyclical. Like we're the first ones to get hit. You know, we're not in a recession yet. Arguably, we're going into one. Arguably, we got hit first, but we're going to be the first ones out. And so, when the rest of the economy starts to suffer, we're crushing it. And so, when things get discounted and things get cheap, our cash flow is gets starts to be the highest it's been. And so it does create this dichotomy that's, um, you know, it's counter cyclical, counterintuitive. But if you capitalize on it and keep your expenses low, then, you know, a couple of really good years and you could set yourself up for life. Yeah, I love this. And the, the other thing that I, I'm so excited to have you on, because you also wear the hat of managing a large team, 
an organization. So the skill sets, like some guys are really good at locking loans and producing and going home. And, but you know, you do, you've done both at an exceptional level. So a lot of these things you're talking about right now are from a producing standpoint. If you were to put the other hat on, and you talked a little bit about some of the stress of letting people go, but what, what, what don't people know about what it's like to run a company? I mean, you've already kind of gotten into the uncertainty of the market and how some things are beyond our control, but as a manager of operations, other salespeople versus a guy that just locks loans. I mean, some people do really well in one camp and not the other. You do really well in both. What is it about you that allows you to kind of jump from both to both really effectively? Cause I don't think that's common. I mean, I, what I believe is I've walked a mile in their shoes and I still walk a mile in their shoes. And I, I, have kept my personal production because a, I wanted to be able to generate my own revenue and income and to be able, you know, to live off of what fruit I was generating and not have to be a burden or taxing or have to rely on other people. And so it's given me freedom. And, and then it's also given me credibility because I'm not a manager that's talking about how, you know, when I was 10 years old, I walked, 10 miles uphill in the snow, carried my baby sister. And, you know, I used to fight animals for food. You know, that's, I'm, I've always done and continue to do the things that I'm asking them to do. And so when recruiting, when retaining, when working with them, we understand what the rock in their shoe is. And so we're more equipped to help them with that rock in their shoe and, and help them evolve. And having been at the top of the mountain, it's easy to help someone get to where you've been instead of prognosticating what it's like or what you're supposed to do when you're not doing the same thing. So I'm a big believer in do as I say, not do as I say, not as I do. Like I've got to do the things that I'm asking other people to do. I've got to be willing to mop the floors, take out the trash, do whatever the fuck it takes to, to, to help them. And I have to be a real steward. I have to put everybody before I put myself. Leaders eat last. And so if I come into management with me and what's in it for me is the priority instead of what's in it for them, then I think that I'm feeling at leadership, right? I want to build business in a way that enriches the lives of the people that are around me. You know, it's a for-profit business, right? There's still income and my my objective is to be profitable and make a profit, but I'm always going to put them first. I'll take the last scraps of, of what's left um, and, and then just build trust and relationships. But I have to be the steward of the ship. And when we have to make tough decisions, I have to be the first one in. And I've, I've got to put on my big boy pants. Uh, I'm a big believer in eating the frog, doing the hardest thing that you have to do the first thing in the morning. Like instead of lamenting or having that thing sit there on your shoulders and stress you out all day long, thinking about it. I want to just rip the bandaid off. I want to do the hardest damn thing early in the morning and then be done with it and, and not sit there and process. And, and then, you know, now I'm not my best self all day long because I've got this thing that's holding me back that I'm thinking about all day long. Yeah. I mean, you're strategic about how you organize your day. Um, are there a couple examples like of things, these negative things, like, is this like saving a deal or, maybe having to have a difficult conversation with someone who's not producing. What are a couple like mortgage examples of these things that you'd want to take care of early in the day? 
Yeah, it could definitely be saving a deal. It, it could be, um, you know, going back and and something something that that happened right that I've got to have a conversation with somebody that uh, if something got missed on a file right or or all of a sudden we found something the documentation that they sent us that creates an issue like I need to address that with them immediately and sometimes people don't want to have that conversation they feel like it's a negative conversation I look at it as I have to be their fiduciary my job is to vet it and help them to navigate if there's turbulence ahead. I, I have to let them know. I can't just hold on to it and have my hope certificate and hope that I can travel through it and we're going to be safe. No, like they've got their livelihood on the line. And so we've got to talk about whatever it is, no matter how difficult it is right away. And then it could be with an employee. It could be with a termination. It could be with performance, right? It, it could be setting expectation. It could be working with your team and things that they're doing that that you want them to to do differently um, I could be putting somebody on a performance plan. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of conversations that we could have day to day that become uncomfortable, but it's best in my opinion, just to, to knock it out. Yeah. I think that's great advice. I, I can totally see in my past where I've waited on certain things and it's kind of ruined the energy of the, the day and my effectiveness. So, you know, when thinking about a job, like I'll give you an example. When I was thinking uh, of jobs, I wasn't thinking of freedom as something that's really important to me. Like, you know, I have two kids, I've coached all their sports. I, I still wake up, take my son to school. Uh, I wake up with them. I go to bed with them. I know, um, I know that's really, really important for me. And I didn't know that at, at a younger age. And so the, the dance here is I'm trying to get people to think about their temperaments and the things that are important to them. You know, like, you know, do you, do you want freedom and flexibility? Do you want uh, to be capped with your compensation? Do you want to deal with the bullshit of politics of having a boss, you know, raise your quota and cut your commission or having to bend the knee, you know, you know, politically in a big company in your world, I'm curious, like I can, I can just knowing you, I know freedom is probably high on the list, but what are two or three of the things that are like non-negotiable and the reason I ask you this is because I want people to understand what is um, real in your, and even though it's unique to you, it's also probably pretty consistent for your, the industry you're in, but what are some of the things that come with being in your profession that are super crucial for you? Um, hell knows, non-negotiables. You know, I mean, having a bad hire, that's something that uh, that I feel like I got to take care of right away because the longer I allow that bad hire to to be around, the the more toxic it can be. Um, Real quick, I don't mean I don't mean to interrupt you. Well, I, let me rephrase it, and this mm -hmm. is good too. But what like in your job, like if you were to get out of the business, you're going to need these two or three things, or else I'm not. I'm not interested. So freedom, like, I mean, I know you live a good life. For sure. You, freedom is, is a big part of it, right? Are, I want freedom. Yeah. What are a couple others that are really important to you? Not specifically about hiring people, but like making an impact, you know, helping people get into homes. What, what, what does it for you? What are those things that like you have to have in your career? You know, freedom definitely is the top of the list. It's something that, that I manifest every single day. I mean, Fridays, this is, Friday. I'm about to shut down. I call it Freedom Friday. Uh, 
And after this is done, I'm going to hop on my bike and go ride down the beach. That's my Friday afternoon, right? That's, that's something that I manifest and, and it, it would have to be in part of any of my career long-term, short-term. I may have to do things that, that I don't want to do long-term to be able to get myself free. And so it's a means to an end. Um, you know, we, I, I, I want to be in a business that rewards other people and sell, sets up, up other people. Um, I want to be able to be non-negotiable for me would be something that kind of has limitless potential. Um, I don't want to do something that there is a glass ceiling and that I feel like I'm boxed in. I don't like ceilings. I don't like fences. I like, you know, vast open spaces. And, and that goes back to, to freedom. Um, I don't know, Dirk. I mean, that's yeah. maybe the only thing that's resonating with me right now. No, those are great. I mean, it's really, I think if people are thinking about our industry, you know, what you're sharing is something that's definitely doable, right? I mean, you go work for Amazon or Google, or, I mean, I've been in that world. I worked for Mark Cuban and I, I worked at Yahoo and like, you don't have a lot of that freedom sometimes, Like right? You're, you're going into an office, um, you're, you're clocking in, you know, but the mortgage industry, outside sales, B to C, business to consumer, like mm -hmm. when everyone you meet in your life or on the beach or whatever is a potential client or referral partner, you know, and it, it's freedom. And I, that's huge for me. It sounds like it's huge for you. As, as we kind of wind this down, I, I like to ask a couple questions, same questions. One of them is a typical response I get, but sometimes I'm surprised. If you were to go back and rewind this whole thing, I understand that selling Bibles, your roofing company, all these things kind of are building blocks that got you to where you are. But with your knowledge, I mean, would you, would you expedite? Would you do it different? Like, I'm just curious if Brent was to go back 22, 23 or whatever, moving to Texas, would you go right into the mortgage industry? Would you have chosen financial services? Would you have, you know, would you change it up at all? Yeah. I mean, I, I do think I would still go back in the mortgage business. Uh, there are mistakes along the way that I would have done differently. I would have invested in myself a little earlier in my career. That was, that was, that was the real catalyst. If I, if I looked at you know, line of the inflection point, the more I invested in my business, the more my business grew, but it took me a, a, a little bit longer to get to a place that I could take that initial leap in investing myself and investing thousands of dollars a month that grew into hundreds of thousands of dollars a month. So I would have done that earlier with whatever I could. I mean, start off a hundred dollars, then $500 and a thousand and just let it compound. Um, you know, I would have, I would have gotten more diverse early on instead of rewarding myself and doing some of the things that I did. I, you know, I would have not pulled money in and out of stock market and gotten scared when the market, I would have understood when there's blood on the water, blood on, blood on the streets, it's time to invest. I mean, there were things like that that I would have done earlier or sooner that could have, you know, changed our trajectory early on. But uh, I love the cash flow this business creates that then allows me to deploy my cash into other things that ultimately generates me more cash. And then it gives me that space that I don't have to worry about selling that loan tomorrow or this is going to impact me my, in my livelihood. Um, I don't know many other businesses that would, that would have given me the, uh, that cash flow that I could deploy in other things. Yeah. And the other thing that strikes me is you don't have to do what you're doing. Like, I mean, you're, you're good now. You could, 
retire and live on the beach and, you know, do yoga and meditation and grow your beard out a little more and start playing guitar. Like you can do whatever you want, but yet you're still in the trenches, you know, with your employees and your partners. And I mean, that says something right there that you're back in it. Um, the other question I have is let's just say God comes down and says, no mortgage, you can't work in the industry, no, you know, lending, no selling debt. You can't do anything related to what you're doing. Is there a, just, I, I like to ask this question because I think it's good for people to, you know, sometimes they might think of you just as this business mortgage dude, but you know, there's much more to Brent than just that. What is there? Is there a dream job? Like, you know, just like fantasy land stuff that if you could do anything, you know, what would it be? I mean, do you think like that? I think like that. Do you? Yeah, I do. I mean, I do and I don't um, because I know that I'm passionate about what I do, what I, what I'm doing now. And I love it. You know, if I, if I changed anything or where I can see myself going as, you know, as the sun sets and I start to unwind from the mortgage business in 10 years is I'm going to continue to still build my real estate portfolio uh, you know, commercial residential and, and a lot of, a lot of apartments or multi a, you have appreciation. You've got the benefit of, of tax benefits on it. Um, you've got cash flow, and then you've got the ability to also get OPM other people's money. So you invest your money along with promoting and having other people's money come in. And if you become wise in that, then, you know, those things can grow to, to be significant cash flow but also give you freedom. So that's something that I'm continuing to focus on. And I can see the next phase of my life is, is really um, have my, my income continue to deploy into real estate and the cash flow things that I really just have to walk to the mailbox and collect my check. It's not relying upon the efforts that I'm doing. It's relying upon the investments that I made. Yeah, no, I love it. I mean, I'm not surprised. I, I thought maybe you'd say you'd be a, a rock star singer or, <laughs> putting concerts on or something like that. But um, so, you know, one thing that stood out too that I, I thought was important mentioning is, you know, some of my favorite people in business are, are some of your closest friends. And I remember you, Craig Strand, I think Grossman, I don't know, you talked about early on getting a group of people in the industry to meet and to, like you were very early on with that and you were always searching for ways to improve your skill set and get better and i always believe that when you're around people like you or who are better or whatever it ups your game um i think that's really something too that to to to, to keep in mind if you're younger is you are oftentimes who you hang out with like i i would you know it's it's important to, to be with the right people that build you up and, you know, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, but I, I, I was impressed other than Grossman and Strent, were there other guys in that group or was it just you three? Well, there were other people in the group. Yeah, there was, yeah. there was eight of us, all eight. top 200 producers in the country. Then we met a couple times a year. We shared very openly with each other and, and it was, we were all instrumental in each other's lives and, and trajectory that original mastermind was you know a huge part a catalyst for sure in my life and what i learned from those you know those guys and girls and what we learned from our mastermind now it just it's just about learning and not buying the lesson yourself right you're going to buy a bunch of lessons but the faster you can speed up those lessons and borrow those lessons from other people to be able to surround yourself with people that are 
smart, that come from a place of, of, of giving, come from a place of abundance that you can swipe and adapt from, it, it does, it just speeds things along, it improves your trajectory, you know, it gives you people that have commonality. And yeah, I'm, I'm a big believer in, it's just as easy to be friends and surround yourself with highly successful people that have things in commonality as it is for, you know, people that may bring you down and, and may focus on negativity. Misery loves company. Um, I personally, I don't have time for it. I don't enjoy being around people that aren't, that are miserable. And so I'm going to gravitate and spend time with people that I can learn from that are going to lift me up and that I can lift up. Yeah, I love it. Well, is there anything on the tip of your tongue that you feel compelled to say, or do you feel pretty complete? I'm good. Yeah, I'm, I think I'm complete. I was just looking at a couple of notes I wrote down along the way, but I think we've hit them all. Yeah, you were awesome, Brent. Thank you so much. I really, uh, really appreciate you coming on. And I think there's a lot of value and people are going to really benefit from this. So thank you. Thanks, man. Love you, buddy. Have a all good right. weekend. See you, brother. All right. See ya.